The word of God today I'm calling Galilee of the Gentiles. But Isaiah prophesied around 720 BC about a time and a place where a great light would confront great darkness. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. The great light that he writes about occurred with the birth of Jesus. The first Christmas almost 2,000 years ago. And the place was in the Middle East in a region called Galilee of the Gentiles. You'll see the area on the map where the darkness of the tyranny of the Roman Empire had overcome and subsumed all nations and cultures that opposed it. That was 2,000 years ago. That's what Isaiah was prophesying about at the time to come. Now there's a phrase spoken with political emphasis today about the river to the sea, which is totally unlike the meaning of when it was first and originally mentioned in the Bible about a land between the river to the sea, and I'm now reading that scripture. Isaiah 9 verse 1. But the former times of darkness and despair in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, called Galilee of the Gentiles, where lies the way from the Jordan River to the sea, will one day be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. There's a direct line that passes through the land of Zebulun and Naphtali in northern Israel from the Jordan River to the seaport harbour at Haifa. And in the year 1947, 4,500 Jewish illegal migrants, they were refugees from Europe, they landed in Haifa on board the ship which was renamed for them, the Exodus, it was an American ship. When they got to Haifa, they were sent back by the British, who were in charge of everything happening there, because they were illegal. They went back to detention camps in Germany. It was a long trip around through France. But then, in 1948, because of worldwide public sentiment, they were allowed back to Haifa where the Jewish population had grown through legal migration over many years to 84,000 Jewish people. So the population of Haifa had become 66% Jewish. And that's where the floodgates were opened. And that was the time. But in the time of Jesus, Galilee of the Gentiles was a place where religious darkness and idolatry opposed the then one true religion called Judaism, where even Judaism itself was opposing itself from within through doctrines of decaying legalism and hypocrisy and pride. Galilee of the Gentiles was the battlefield of good against evil and of light against darkness. But it was to become, through Jesus, the wellspring of life out of death. Jesus, the light of the world, 
the first Christmas grew up in Galilee of the Gentiles, in the tribal territories of Zebulun and Naphtali. And he lived there in the towns of Nazareth and Capernaum. And that way from the river to the sea was a busy international trade route interspersed with Roman garrisons that would have greatly influenced the social and cultural atmosphere in which Jesus lived. That's why it was Galilee of the Gentiles. It was packed with all different kinds of people. And that's where Jesus grew up as a young boy and where later he began his ministry to bring the kingdom of God into the earth. In fact, much of what Jesus did in his life and ministry was in Zebulun and Naphtali. That's up north. Jerusalem, Judea, down south. He announced his ministry in Nazareth, in Zebulun, when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, in Luke chapter 4. He turned water into wine, his first miracle, in the town of Cana, in Naphtali. And he taught the Sermon on the Mount, his first public sermon in Naphtali, in Matthew chapter 5, where he also appointed most of his apostles. He performed a multitude of miracles in the region of Capernaum, and that's there, Nazareth, Capernaum, very close to the border there between Zebulun and Naphtali. You can just see the shading there. And in that area, during that time of ministry, a great light did shine. He would finally go to Jerusalem, down south, where he was destined to die for all mankind and rise again from the dead, and where he's destined to return at the end of the age, where he will overcome the final rebellion and assault of great darkness against the power of his kingdom of great light of which you are a part, the kingdom of life. The battle lines are drawn. Two kingdoms in conflict 2,000 years ago and again today. Isaiah's prophecy would find its future fulfilment through Jesus, the King of Kings, that has fought and won the battle for our souls. So that's what his prophecy fulfilled. But I believe that prophecy lives on. I'm reading now a couple of verses down in verse 3. You will gather the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break their yoke of slavery and the oppressor's rod of power and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government at its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David forevermore. The dedication of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is actively bringing in his kingdom. In times of great darkness, there is greater light penetrating the darkness at this moment while we speak. And the kingdom lives within us. And over 2,000 years on, from that first Christmas, we see an even greater measure a world that is in great darkness waiting for great light. The odd paradox 
is that the world celebrates Christmas as a festive holiday season each year while not understanding the miraculous significance of that great light and not understanding the significant events of great darkness that are happening around about us. People are confused trying to interpret what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. The Bible is very clear about that and it has set the template for us. The great darkness that now awaits a great light has become a sign that a caring God who wants only the best for his people is waiting to act on behalf of his people. He will break their yoke of slavery and the oppressor's rod of power and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. So those people who know their God will also be his signs of hope in today's world. Because people living with hope, even in difficult times and going through tribulation, whatever kind it might be, find a hope that no one else can find. That's God's hope for us. It's the future that he has coming to us, not something we reach out to try and find for ourselves. And when our lives exhibit that kind of hope, people will want to know why you have such a hope. What's the matter with you? <laughs> and you'll have an answer, seasoned with grace. Outer darkness is the manifestation of disorder and corruption and violence, which is being seen at the present moment on the ground in Israel, where malevolence and terrorism has reached a fever pitch of destructive power against the nation of Israel, and where hatred of Jews is being stirred up in certain parts of the media and politics. Malevolence and destructive political activism has been increasing in the world in recent years and months, where groups and individuals contend with each other in power struggles to dominate and to do harm to others. This outer darkness is a direct result of inner darkness, which is described in the Bible as the work of the God of this world, the prince of the power of the world of darkness, as it says in the book of Ephesians who uses deception to blind people's minds from receiving the revelation of a loving and forgiving God in Jesus Christ. That's the power of darkness. And that power is working overtime at the moment. The Christmas story is a message of God's intervention of his great light into both the outer darkness and into the inner darkness of people's lives so that they can see the things that are there as they truly are. It's happening now. What's really going on? The lies are there, but they get brought to the surface. At the present time, God is bringing many things to the surface that have been hidden, but are now being exposed so that they can be justly dealt with. We saw in the prophetic scripture from Isaiah that Jesus would be called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is he. And that the government would be upon his shoulders. Jesus is showing himself in this way at this time in the world as he reorders our lives even in the midst of upheaval and loss and difficulties. 
He gives us his peace. Only he knows what things lay ahead. As he determines the course of history and determines each day of our lives for each one of us as we become drawn into his perfect will for us. The decisions get easier because it's easier to see the difference between the darkness and the light, even within ourselves. That can be so muddy sometimes. I believe the grace of God is making that clear to each one of us. And so we can say, thank you, Lord, you've shown me something. And that's being healed in my life and transformed. Jesus said to his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. John 16. And Jesus spoke of two different kinds of peace, the peace of God and the peace of the world. He said also in John, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace of the world is not an inner lasting peace. It's more like a short-term relief that a person feels because they have trust in their own skills and experience and financial reserves to control the circumstances in their world. These resources are effective against many threats and obstacles and hazards and we thank God for the resources that we get are given by God to do what we must do. But when the threats and obstacles and hazards overcome people's resources, their peace is gone. The peace of the world is also the one-upmanship of having the upper hand against rival opposition when it comes against us. And this is seen blatantly in the fragile peace of global politics and national security, strategic alliances that are negotiated. We'll get together and we'll get the upper hand over them for a while until I see somebody better to be in alliance with. <laughs> History tells us that worldly alliances don't last forever. They're short-lived and fragile like the peace of the world. The peace that God gives is not fragile as we trust in the alliance of God with us. And that's in all things so that we never have to just depend upon our own strategies and resources in order to feel safe and secure. Commit your way to the Lord, trust only in him and he will act. Psalm 37. God is always acting on our behalf in the world of the unseen. And that is the essence of our faith. That's the source of our peace and our hope. We're not saved from facing the struggles and the adversity. But we are saved from having our souls being defeated and made to feel hopeless. The hope comes from God. That is what being saved is. He has overcome the world's power to crush our souls. We're given grace to receive his peace and to administer that peace and goodwill to others, to be the gospel of peace in a broken world. You were created to be good news in different ways and at different times to different people by the grace of God that was already made ready, waiting for you to step into the times, the people, the situations. Isaiah 26 verse 12. 
Lord, you will establish peace for us. For you have also done all our works in us. That's an interesting scripture. We've gone beforehand. It says that he has actually set out a way for us to walk in, in Ephesians chapter 2. It's already been set out that you should walk in them, good works that you should walk in them. Those times and places are where God meets you. That word in that scripture, for you have also done all our works in us, that word done is ordained, devised a plan. In other words, God has devised a plan before the day starts for you. Those times and places where he meets you in your challenge and where you receive his peace and pass it on will be the places where God is displayed in you as the good news of peace, the gospel of peace, of the God of peace. Amen.